David descended into the valley of Elah, he was facing a huge challenge in a giant, Goliath. But David didn't descend into that valley alone because God was with him. And he faced a tremendous challenge, but he faced a challenge knowing that God would help him be able to be victorious. Several weeks ago, we began a series of lessons on in the valley of Elah, talking about the kinds of challenges that you and I must face as we encounter the giants in our own lives and the troubles and the difficulties that you and I face. In the beginning of these series of lessons, I tried to sit down and think, at least for myself, what are the kinds of challenges that I would face sometimes on a daily basis that would be really challenging to me to do what God would want me to do. This morning, we're going to talk about battling anger, wrath, and malice. Now, I know as you think about those, you may think, well, that's someone else. But I want to begin with asking some questions. I want these to be probing questions for each of us to think in our own mind how we would respond if we're honest with ourselves to each of these. Do you ever find yourself losing your temper? Number two, do you ever struggle with deep-seated resentment? That is, you look at someone and you can hardly speak to them peaceably. Do you ever want to create trouble for those you dislike? That is, do you want, if you had the opportunity, to make their life more difficult, to make it more challenging for them? I didn't say that you had to be able to do it, but would you like to do that? Would you say that those are Christ-like traits? And I know that most of us would say, well, maybe perhaps for those first three, I have been guilty at least to some level or another, and no, those are not Christ-like traits, and no, I'm not proud of that, but now do you believe that this battle is one that you can win? Do you believe that you can become a person who doesn't harbor anger, who doesn't show wrath, who doesn't express malice? Do you believe that this is a giant that you can defeat? Well, this morning, what we want to do is to look at three things. I'm going to use the little plus symbol uh, rather than trying to type out everything because sometimes those lines can get very long. So I put anger plus, and you recognize that includes anger, wrath, malice, and all of these attitudes of the heart. And we want to begin by identifying them. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about it, and you and I can see it in society as well. And then I want to see it illustrated. Some of the best ways to understand things is to see them illustrated in the lives of real people. And the Bible has God's inspired record of people who illustrate these things. And then number three, to talk about anger, wrath, and malice, 
inhibited in our lives. That is where you and I make some conscious effort to try to do better. Let's talk about it identified. You know, the Bible uses some very specific words to describe the attitudes of the heart. The first one we want to talk about is the word anger. And the word anger, sometimes we use it a little bit differently than the Bible does. But the Bible uses this word to talk about a deep-seated hostility that builds up over time. When we begin to illustrate it in a few moments, we are talking about someone who learns to hate someone else. Who learns to have a hostility toward them. We can see that illustrated even in society in the past few days. In contrast, that is the word wrath. And in the Bible, the word wrath is the outburst of a person's anger that's within. It's, for instance, like we would say, someone just got mad all of a sudden. For instance, a person may go to a sporting event. They may be laughing and having a good time with their friends. And then all of a sudden, the referee or the umpire or the officiating people will make a call which they don't agree with. And all of a sudden, their face gets red and they get mad, they get angry. That's that word wrath there. It's the flash of one losing control of their temper. Then the word malice. The word malice is ill will in action. That's where someone begins to act upon those feelings, whether it is very quickly brought on or whether it's brought on by a long period of time. It's when a person begins to say, I'm going to do something to you. Well, there's a good passage of Scripture to go to. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is trying to explain to the Ephesians the type of lifestyle that one does not want to pursue as well as the type of lifestyle one would want to pursue. And he describes them, these attitudes of passion in verse 31. He said, let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I notice you will observe that there is bitterness there, there's clamor there, there's evil speaking. Those things go together. They are distinct, and yet they all are found in one of the same. But you see, someone says, but you've got to understand, my anger is righteous anger. My wrath is righteous wrath. Really, it is. Well, let's look and see. You see, in the Bible, God has anger. God has wrath. For instance, in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Colossians 3 verse 6, because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Does God's patience and long-suffering have 
a limit. Obviously they do. God, in fact, is extremely patient. He's extremely kind. But there comes a time in which the wrath of God will break forth. Man's wrath and man's anger, however, does not work for God's righteousness. James, in his very practical letter, writes about these things in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, where he said, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. We read those quite frequently. But listen to the last part of verse 19, the first part of verse 20. He said, Slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. In other words, God is calling upon us to be slow to lose our temper. The reason being, it doesn't work the righteousness of God. The Bible does say that one may be angry and not sin. I'm afraid, however, though, that we have some kind of thinking that this is a get-out-of-hell-free card. That somehow we can... We can be angry and then say, well, you know, it, it was a good, righteous anger. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. But do you know from which Old Testament passage that passage was taken? It's found in Psalms chapter 4, verse 4. And once you read it in the book of Psalms, it may give you a little bit different understanding than just reading Paul's account because David writes, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. What do you mean be still? The phrase, be still and know that I am the Lord, indicates that man is to have no action. He's supposed to wait upon God. Allow God to handle the matters. Meditate upon your bed. Why am I angry? Is it righteous anger or is it personal anger? And then once I have meditated upon it, then I recognize it's still not my place to right all the wrongs. I'm to be still. You go to the New Testament, to Ephesians 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Well, what would I do if I sinned? It's where I have a hostility that shouldn't be there. It's when I have a hostility that acts upon it. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You don't keep that wrath either. You let go of it. You see, when you read that passage in its context, understanding its background, it's saying you need to think, you need to think carefully about what you are doing and what you are thinking about. Number two, it tells you you don't act on it. You let God act on it. And then number three, it says you don't keep it in your heart. You get rid of it. Additionally, you could go through the Bible and you could look at a number of other synonyms and I'm not going to try to explore them all. There's the word furious or fury. 
There's the word rage. Why do the nations rage? All of this describes sins of the heart. Now, for a few moments, I'd like to talk about it illustrated. Does anyone doubt that our society has deep-seated hostility? Does anyone doubt that our society has so many what I would call flashpoints? Oh, I could just begin to name a few. I'd like for you to think about some areas, for instance, nations against nations. Now in this election year, there's political parties and there's personalities. There's racial problems that have even arisen this past week. Minnesota and Louisiana and Texas. There are family squabbles and hostilities. You have spouses, you have parents, you have siblings, and then you have a very real sense of road rage, which is wrath just immediately flashing up. Do you realize that we live in a world that has it? And people immediately began to jump on one side or another. You know, I really feel for people who lose their lives regardless of what color they are. And I deeply grieve for those people in Dallas, Texas, who were trying to serve the people of that community. Hatred, anger, and wrath have no place among God's people. And we shouldn't be the kind of people that says, okay, I've got an anger and I'm going to express it. Perhaps the best way, though, is to illustrate it through the Bible. You can see, first of all, that anger arises out of selfishness. People who look and say, I want the glory for myself and I'm going to have it or I will be angry. For instance, in James chapter 1, verses 4, verses 1 and 2, he said, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come for desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you covet or murder and covet and cannot obtain You fight in war and you do not have because you do not ask. You see, it's all about what I want. And if I don't get what I want, I'm going to be angry about it. Saul, in 1 Samuel 18, right after David slays Goliath, the people are talking and it says, Saul was very angry and it displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. To me, they've only ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? Saul would look and say, I don't like it that David's getting more recognition than I am. And I'm going to be angry about it. At the root of that was selfishness. Well, it hurts sometimes when we have to look at ourselves and say, is my anger because I'm selfish? You go to the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verse 13. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They wouldn't bow down to this great image that had been 
created by Nebuchadnezzar. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they brought them in before the king, and he cast them into the fiery furnace. It's not just rulers either. Do you remember the apostles, how that the mother of James and John came to Jesus and asked, please allow my sons to sit on your right and on your left hand in your kingdom. The Lord's response was, you don't know what you're asking. However, the response of the other ten apostles was very remarkable. It says, and when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. You know why? I want that position. I'm angry at you because you want it. At the root of this anger is selfishness. Do you remember the elder brother? When the prodigal son returned in Luke 15, verse 28, the prodigal son came in. The father was so excited to see him. He had a clothing put on him, a ring put on him. He gave him a party, we would say. They killed the fatted calf. The elder brother came in or came back and saw what was happening. And it says he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. The father is trying to say to the, this elder son of his, Come on in. No, I'm not coming in. It's selfishness that's at the root of that. But it's not just selfishness, it's self-righteousness. I'm better than you are. I shouldn't have to stoop to that. In 2 Kings 5, Naaman, the captain of the Syrian army, had leprosy. He had been sent to Israel to see Elisha, the prophet. When he arrives, Elisha doesn't even go out and see him. In fact, he just says, tell him to go dip seven times in the river Jordan. Hmm, how dare him talk to me like that? I'm a higher man than that. He ought at least come out. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 11. Now Naaman became furious. And he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out and to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Then he says, Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters? Do you see the idea? I'm better than this. Where I am from is better than this. So he turned away and went and went away in a rage. This man's mad. He thinks he's better than this. What about Jonah? You remember Jonah was to go to Nineveh, he was to preach to them, to repent, or in forty days the city would be overthrown. Jonah went, Jonah preached, they repented. And God forgave them. 
You get to chapter 4, verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was I this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I now know that you are a gracious and the merciful God, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than live. And then the Lord said to him, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, do you think you are better than the people of Damascus? Evidently he does. King Uzziah, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, I'm going to have to speed this up. He comes in and he's going to offer a sacrifice on the altar. And the priests are saying, no, it's not for you, the king, to do that. It's only for the priest. He's got the censer in his hand. Verse 19 says, Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the altar, or the incense altar. See, his anger, I, I can do whatever I want to. I'm the king. You can see people seething. With anger. Brother Marty read to us from Genesis chapter 4, verses 5 and following. And there you hear Cain angry, seething with anger, to the point that when his brother comes, what does he do? Verse 8, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass, and they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. This hatred that developed because he saw someone else do well and himself not. Sometimes we develop anger to the point that it sees to the point we want to have malice. We want to kill somebody. In Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 59, Stephen has just delivered a powerful rebuke to the Jewish people, pointing out to them that they've always resisted God's words. You can imagine how when someone tells you you're not listening to God. What do you do? You become angry. How angry did they become? Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. And what it, they did was to take the life of Stephen. Now for just a few minutes... What I'd like to talk to you about is facing this enemy. You know, it's real in our lives. We sometimes get angry. We sometimes lose our temper, that flash of anger. Sometimes we act in ways we ought not to act. How can
can I do better? And somebody says, well, you just got to understand, I'm, I'm a person who's got a hot temper, and I, I know I've got a hot temper. Well, folks, listen to me very plainly, very clearly before I even go into this. James 1 and verse 26 said, If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, this man's religion is useless. You mean if you don't try to bridle your tongue, your religion is useless? That's right. If a person says, well, I know I've got a hot temper, and you don't try to control it, what are you saying? You're saying your religion is useless. It does not help you because you won't let it. Well, if I can find some ways to improve the way I do things, then maybe I ought to learn something from God's Word. Number one, you learn to avoid provoking situations. In the book of Proverbs 17, verse 14, the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Let me tell you, folks, what happens. Someone says something, someone does something. The reaction on the other person's part is, I don't like that. And so then there is a response to that, and that raises it one step. That person comes along and says, hey, I'm not going to take that. And they respond in kind, and that raises it another step. And someone says, well, I'm going to have the last word. And then the other person says, I'm going to have the last word. You know what happens pretty soon? There is no last word, but there is some strong conflict. And just like when a person starts pouring out water, you you get it pouring, you can't stop it. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If you can avoid a conflict, avoid it. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Folks, if we could just learn that one verse alone, that would prevent so many conflicts. A soft answer turns away wrath. Words are important. Choose them carefully. Use them carefully. This harsh or grievous word just causes someone else to feel like they have to respond. Proverbs 22, verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go. We've often taught people, beware evil companions, corrupt good morals, 1 Corinthians 15. We talk to our children about Proverbs 13, verse 20. He says, walk with wise men and you'll be wise, but the companion of fools will be broken or destroyed. He's saying, don't go along with Don't make friendship with angry people. You know what happens pretty soon? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You'll become a part of a mob mentality that says, I'm angry at you. Well, why are you angry? I don't know who he is, but 
So that must mean I'm angry at you too. We find ourselves even in the Lord's church lining up behind personalities too often. And we become little groups. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning with verse 10 going through verse 17 talks about that. Not only should we avoid provoking situations, we should be willing occasionally to accept mistreatment. I almost would like to pause till the room got completely quiet. There are times, there are places when you and I need to, to say, it's okay if I'm mistreated. Proverbs 19, verse 11, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. And his glory is to overlook a transgression. Let me tell you something, husbands and wives. Your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister says something cutting to you. You don't have to respond. You don't have to cut back. You can let it pass. Oh, but if I let it pass, they might do it again. They might. And it might stop a big fight. First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. We've been studying about this on Sunday morning in the adult classes. What our Lord did. Oh, he was brought in. He was maligned. He was spoken against. He was beaten. He was crucified. Verse 21, for to this you were called... Because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed to himself to him who judges righteously. Oh, he he suffered, but he didn't respond in a negative way. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7 says, the latter part, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Folks, there are times when for the good of ourselves, the good of the Lord's church, and the good of everything, we ought to be willing to accept some mistreatment. Number three, we ought to try to control our passions. I know some of you are just like me. You're a very passionate person. You feel very strong about things. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Proverbs 16, verse 32, He who is slow to anger is greater than the mighty. And he who rules the spirit than he who rules or takes a city. And Proverbs 14, verse 29, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, 
But he who is impulsive exalts folly. Sometimes we have this idea, if I don't respond, they're going to think I'm weak. The Bible says that if you don't always respond, you're showing strength. Well, it takes a whole lot more effort to bite your tongue and to be quiet and to avoid conflict than it does just get in there and have it out. Appreciate the outcome. If I begin to be angry with my brother or I'm angry with my family or I'm angry with people at church or I am angry with people in society and I let that wrath burst out of me and I develop this malice, where is this going to end? I'm going to tell you, it's really, really sad where some of this has ended this past week. Don't you agree? It's really sad. Proverbs 37 and verse 8, David writes, Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. If we could understand this kind of of anger, this selfishness, self-righteousness that says, I want my way and I'm going to get my way and if you don't, I'm going to react in a negative way about it. That only causes harm. We looked at James 1, 19 and 20. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs 18, 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Now, folks, for just a moment, pause with me. I know my time is up. Some of the things that we may say in the political realm, some of the things that we may say with regards to racial issues, some of the things we may say with regards to other things. Have we ever understood that that person that we may be wanting to reach someday may be someone we want to teach the gospel? Because I see that offended is harder to win than a strong city. If my attitude ever gets in the way, of trying to reach someone with the gospel and save their souls, then may God have mercy on me on the day of judgment. Because we've got to step back and say, we've got to look at these people out here in the world as potential brothers and sisters in Christ, people that we want to reach with the gospel of Christ. He said contentions are like the bars of a castle. We'll raise up bars that we'll never be able to tear down. The world says give vent to your passions. Let it out. God says learn to use some self-control. It's foolish to know that one needs to do better and then not do it. Oh, I need to do a better job. Well, if I, 
If I don't change anything, I'm not going to change the results. It's time to learn to trust that God knows what he's doing and allow him to right the wrongs that are in this world. Oh yes, I can contribute to doing the good things, the right things, the honorable things, the faithful things. But it's not my place to exhibit the wrath of God. It's not my place to hate. It's not my place to exhibit malice. You walk into the Valley of Elah, you face this battle, will you win? If you're not a Christian this morning, we'd love to encourage you and invite you to be a part of the greatest family on the face of the earth, God's family. By believing that Jesus is the Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and being baptized, the Lord adds you to his body, to his church. Acts 2 verse 47. If you're a child of God and you're struggling with sin and you know it's sin that needs to be repented of and needs prayers, we can pray with you this morning. Would you come while we stand and sing?